In verse 62, chapter 24, Genesis says, Now Isaac had come from Ber Lahoi Roy and was settled in the Negev. And Isaac went out in the evening to walk. And looking up, he saw camels coming. And Rebekah looked up. And when she saw Isaac, she slipped quickly from the camel and said to the servant, Who is the man over there walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. And then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent. He took Rebekah, she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. We have been walking through a series about some unusual relationships in the Bible. Uh, we talked about Hosea, uh, the prophet, and his wife, and, and what to do with uh, the difficulty of that story of broken relationships, and what, we've, what do we do when we think that God has told us to be with someone, and then it all falls apart, and, and the challenge, and the, and the difficulty, and the pains of that. And today we're, we're talking about a story that doesn't feel quite as dramatically uh, gone astray, uh, but there's still some very interesting peculiarities and lessons from this text. Uh, and I was thinking about this text. There's so many things about the relationships of this time that are not at all like what relationships are like today, but there's some similarities as well. And so I was thinking about, um, I don't know if anybody's ever tried to play matchmaker in their life. You've got a friend, you're like, oh, you've got to meet so-and-so. They'd be perfect for you. And everyone has in their minds that's like what the match would be. And, oh, of course, it's going to work out perfect. I, I know best. I, I know that they, these two were meant for each other. And uh, I was thinking, I was talking to uh, somebody from, from here a few, few days back about one of my favorite sitcoms, uh, about lessons that you don't want to live like the characters in the story, uh, but the old 90s sitcom Seinfeld. Uh, and on Seinfeld, they're always hypercritical of every relationship that they're in. That's part of the, the humor of the show, is that they're so critical. And in the show, there's this beautiful edit that's done, in which Jerry and Elaine decide they're going to uh, set up uh, their friend George with one of Elaine's friends. And you see parallel tellings of this matchmaking scenario. And uh, again, George is hypercritical. And so Jerry's telling George about this woman, and he's like, well, what's she like? Uh, what does she look like? Uh, what does she do? You know, describe her to me. And he's wanting to know things about how like, flowing her hair is. And like, can I put my finger in her hair, and then can I get it out? And he's like, well, do you want to be able to get your, hair, your hand out? And, and it, he's so particular about everything he wants in this woman. And then it cuts over to Elaine trying to talk about George. And, and the friend says, well, what does he do? Well... Uh, he used to be an architect. He, he's not really working right now. Oh, so he doesn't have a job. N well, no, not right now. Well, well, what does he look like? Well, um, he's sturdy. He's strong. She's like, he's fat. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, uh, and, well, what, what does he look like? What what what's his hair look like? Well, you know, He's balding. He's balding. He's bald. You know. Oh, okay. So she's working through all of these awful things, and it just keeps cutting over to to George, who's like, well, you know, every little tiny perfection is it. You know, I don't know if I'm going to be into her or not. And uh, it's this interesting play of which we we are so 
critical of other people. We don't tend to be as critical of ourselves. But it's interesting as a matchmaker because you're seeing the, the best of two people and you're like, oh, I think these two things are going to work perfectly. This is going to be a great relationship. You're not thinking about all of the idiosyncrasies, all of the challenges, all of the friction, all of the, you know, the worst parts of ourselves and how all of those things going to blend for these two people. And in our story today, Abraham's playing matchmaker, not really playing great matchmaker. He's kind of giving off some of those responsibilities. But in Genesis 24, Abraham's like, uh, I need a, a wife for my son. I, I got to find a wife for Isaac. And he gives the servant the job. And I feel like that's not a great situation. Like if, if your boss told you at work, okay, my kid needs to get married, go find their spouse for them. Like, great. My reputation is going to be based off of how great of a match I find. And so this servant is told to go back to the land that Abraham is from. And he goes at least a month's journey by camel to go find a wife for Abraham's son. And he goes there. And I love the story he's talking about, well, how do I find someone? How will anybody agree with me? And so he decides, okay, I'm going to go to the well. There's always a lot of women that will come by at that time of day. Whoever kind of gives me water, we're just going to go with that. <laughs> That's our criteria for today. Who showed up? Who offers me water? And so that's his plan. And he shows up. And there's uh, Rebecca in the story. And she enters into the scene. She's kind of like a superhero of the story. I mean, she shows up and she not only goes and gets water with her water bucket. And I, that's not an easy task. You know, we're uh, getting a new water fountain out front. And it'll be nice when it gets installed. But that's a lot easier than getting a bucket going down into a well and bringing up water. And so she's bringing this water up. She has her own plans to do with that water. And this random dude says, hey, I'd like a drink. Can I have just a little bit? And so she says, here, here. And she offers him the water. He drinks as much as he wants. And also, she gives the water to his 10 camels. I don't know about you, but 10 camels sound like they could drink a lot of water. And I don't know how many trips down the well that requires of Rebecca. Like, there's some strength involved in going and getting all of this water. And so she keeps giving them the water, keeps giving them the water, and the servant's like, I, I'm feeling really good about this plan, right? You know, it's like, she is going above and beyond. Here's the woman. And so tell me, who are your, who's your family? She finds out that her family is, is connected to Abraham's family. It gets weird on that front. We'll just acknowledge that. It gets a little weird on that front in Genesis. It's like, oh, great. She's, uh, you know, her grandfather is, is, is Isaac's grandfather's brother. Like, th this is a great combination. Um, but they're in the same family tribe, which is the point of the story. So, oh, that's wonderful. Can I go? Can I go back to your, your family's place? And he gives her a few gifts. He gives her bracelets and a nose ring. And I know some people who would kind of be like, do I want my daughter-in-law to have a nose ring or not? You know, and some people, like, they have their own external appearance judgments, right? Um, but in the story, she gets a nose ring, she gets bracelets, and they go to her, her, her family's house, and her brothers are around, and they start talking. They're talking about, you know, I'm looking for uh, a wife for my, ser my servant, uh, my master's son. And so... They agree. I think in the story, there's a fun little preview. Uh, the guy in the story, the brother of Rebecca, is Laban. 
If you know anything about biblical tradition, Laban is going to be very important to the story of Jacob and a lot of arguments and fights about a different wedding as Jacob wants to marry Rachel and Laban somewhat tricks him and Leah gets married instead. And so he's, the servant has shown up at Laban's house and is trying to get a, a wife for his master's son. But Laban, I think he looks at the, like, the ornaments, he looks at the fancy stuff, and he's like, this, this feels like a good match. Okay, I'll agree. I'll agree. Um, she can go with you. Um, but then it became a question of when can she go with you? It's like, well, at least just stay a week or so. And if you know from Laban's story later, Jacob stays around for a lot of years on this marriage scenario. And so the servant says, no, 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 we have to leave. I've got to go back to my master. And so he's like, we're going to go tomorrow, basically. Like, we're just leaving. And Laban's not a big fan of that. But it's kind of interesting in the story, they actually finally for once turned to Rebecca and like, hey, what do you want to do? It's like she's forgotten about until that moment. It's like, did you want to do any of this? Did you want to marry this guy? Like, what's your thoughts on this matter? And so thankfully, they at least ask her now, when do you want to go? She's like, yeah, I'll do it. I'll go. And again, Rebecca seems to keep going above and beyond expectations in the story. And so the servant's got to be feeling great, right? He's, he's going to make his way home. He's like, I found someone, and isn't she amazing? I did a great job. This is going to go well, right? And then we get like the cinematic moment in the story, which we, we read from. They're at a distance, and we get, uh, we get Isaac's point of view. He looks out, and he's like, I see something out there. Are those camels coming? And then we flip over to Rebecca's point of view. She's like, wait, that's a guy. Hey, who is that? Like, that's my, that's my, that's my master. You know, that, and it kind of gets a little bit strange there because it's like master, son. I think he just calls them both master. But the point is he's saying, yeah, that's, that's who we're going to meet. And so she's excited. She gets off of her... Uh, Camel, and, and you get this like meet cute where this great, perfect coming together story. And again, the world being different in this time, this is a wedding story. Now, in our world, you've got to do a lot of financial planning to have your wedding, it feels like. You know, you've got to figure out how much money's in the account, how expensive the venue is, how many people to invite. You've got to make the cards, you've got to, all the stuff. In this story, uh, there were some bracelets some nose rings that were gifted. And when she sees Isaac, it says she puts a veil over her face, symbolic of the wedding. And the wedding is they consummate the wedding. Like, they show up, they sleep together in the tent, and now they're married. Uh, That's the story of their wedding and their marriage. And so, again, relationships don't always look quite the same in that time as they do today. And there's this really interesting note. You get to this part, and you're like, this sounds pretty great. You know, they they seem to both have decided that, yes, this is okay. And I love the note in the text. Isaac gets the servant's word. The servant says, hey, I told him everything that I did. Like, does Isaac have any clue what's happening all this time? You know, his dad has match made for him. The servant shows up with Rebecca, and now he's telling him, hey, here's the story. And he sees Rebecca, and he's like, you know what, I'm... I'm up for this. This sounds like a, a, a good arrangement. And then there's a note about that they, they come together in 
Isaac's mother's tent, and that he was comforted over the loss of his mother. And there's this really interesting thing going on in the story where Isaac seems like he is in grief, he's in mourning, he's in pain, he feels alone because his mother has passed away. And he, uh, um, kind of, mother's boys, kind of, you know, you were like, you're, you're so close to your mom that you're just like, I, I really would, I can't move forward. I'm in so much grief and so much pain. How do I, how do I go forward? Isaac's in that spot. He loved his mom. Now, there might be some special, like special reasons about why he loves his mom so much. Do you know anything else about Isaac's story? His dad and him had a pretty traumatic moment when he was a kid. We kind of read over that story and act like, oh, this is just a great biblical story, but like, what's the family dynamics of your dad almost sacrificed you on an altar? Oh, let's laugh at the old family story. Hey, Isaac, tell that one about your dad almost killing you. Like, that's probably weird. And Abraham can believe that, hey, God's given me this command. I'm supposed to do this. And thankfully, God turned me around and, and, and I had to sacrifice the ram instead. But like, Isaac had not much to do in that affair. Hey, Dad, what, what are we sacrificing, Dad? And so there's a lot of stories and there's a lot of interpretation about how old you want to make Isaac when that story happened. How much consent did he have? How much did he not have? But you can imagine a world in which Isaac feels very strongly about his mom. Mom is the one that I'm going to cling to. And now she's gone. His dad's getting older. He's feeling alone. And he is needing comfort. He's mourning. And there's a way in which you could try to read this kind of story where you're like, maybe he's just taking this Why? Maybe he's just trying to console himself and it's selfish. Because, you know, like, sometimes we have, like, our comfort foods, our, our things that bring us comfort but don't necessarily bring us life, that can be destructive, that, you know, it's not really helpful to us or to somebody else. Maybe instead of seeing his wife there, he just sees a way to, well, at least I'm not alone, and he doesn't really see her there. But I think there's actually a mutuality in the story. Um, something that you might have caught was that that servant was negotiating with Rebecca's brother, not her dad. And in the story, she talks about, hey, we can go to my mom's house. And so her dad is missing from the scene. We don't know much about it other than he's probably passed. And so maybe these two people who both know what grief is like, who both need comfort, see each other, can understand each other, can appreciate each other. And in the text, it says, Isaac loved her. We noted last week that uh, Michael loving David was kind of unique. That we don't get too many stories where we get an actual character just saying, hey, they loved the person that they were with. It wasn't just an arranged marriage where they, they don't like each other. And Isaac loves her. And I think there's something powerful about finding comfort together where you're not just trying to fill a hole and, and not noticing the person in front of you, but he sees her even at a distance, and he loves her, and he finds comfort that there's a path forward, there's a new way to live, that there's another chapter in his life. For so many people, when you're, when you're grieving, when you're in pain, you feel like your best story's over. But Isaac is grabbing hold that there's a new chapter in his story. And so they go forward in marriage, and, and not, relationships don't tend to end in happily ever after really easily. We kind of tend to make our own stories of, 
well, if you got married and it worked out and they love each other, that's great, perfect. Like, let's just end the story there, roll credits. But life's still hard. You can find comfort in one another, you can love one another, and you can still really have your own challenges, your own issues, your own struggles. And some of those struggles are embedded in this story. I have to admit to you, I've withheld some of the story in retelling it. Abraham has some reasons he wanted to matchmake for his son. See, Abraham's story was, God made me a promise that I'm going to have a land, I'm going to have a people. And I didn't have kids, I don't, know how, I don't have a land, and so he has to faithfully follow God, and he finds the land, and, and now he has to have the kid, and there's a whole bunch of issues around him trusting in that process. But he finally has Isaac, and then he thinks that God wants him to sacrifice him, and he's scared because he's like, well, how is this promise going to come true if, if I lose my son? But now he's, he's, uh, Abraham has lost his wife. His wife seems to have passed away now. And he's wondering, if I'm going to have a bunch of family, Isaac better get to it. <laughs> Maybe there's some folks who, who know, they're like, I, I wonder if my kids are going to finally have some kids or not. And, and you start looking at the clock and you start wondering, like, hey, do I need to help matchmake for you? Like, I know somebody. And so Abraham's like, i got to find somebody for my son. And he tells his servant, go back to my, my father's land, go back to my ancestor's land, because what if my son marries somebody here? Even worse, what if my son goes back to my father's land and finds someone there and stays there? It's like, this is my land. This is the promise. I can't send my son to go find a wife there. What if he stays? So the servant's got to go. You've got to bring the woman here because I need the person from the right kind of tribe that I want it to be, and I need him to live here. Don't go anywhere else. And that kind of pressure does something to you. Anybody ever know any family pressure, family dynamics, right? Um, and there's got to be a ton of pressure if somebody in your family says, God told me I'm going to have a nation of kids. This is our land. You might see other people here. This is going to be our place. This is the whole property. And so Isaac's going to get into his own challenges, and Rebecca as well, because they have the challenge that they have twins. Surprise. You're worried about whether he's going to have a kid or not, and he's got twins, and now they have to decide, well, who gets the inheritance? So Isaac has his favorite Rebecca has her favorite. And so you get into all the squabbles, all these fights, all this pain, because they're all trying to figure out how to get this promise to work on their behalf. And so even if Isaac gets what he wants and Esau gets the promise, there's still pain in that relationship. Jacob's like, me being like five minutes later, why does that mean I get nothing? But Rebecca ends up because she knows her husband so well, knowing how to trick him so well. So she works with her son to have him impersonate the older brother. And also doing, you just can't come back from there of like, you've tricked me, you've hurt me. And at least the aftermath of that is the two sons, they go into separate directions. And you can't have your happy family back together again. And there's all that grief again. And so I, I think that we can understand parts of the story. I think we can, even though there's such different cultural things at work here, I think we know what it's like to be in this kind of story. 
Uh, if you're somebody who's thinking about the matchmaking process, if you think you can, oh, I know what's best, I figure I can get this person with that person, oh, wouldn't these be a great friend pairing? Um, why are we doing it? Are we doing it for the benefit of the other person? Or are we doing it for our own benefit? Is it just about puffing my own ego up of like, don't I know better than them? Don't I know who they really need? I keep seeing them in these certain friendships, certain relationships, and they don't realize how bad these are, but I know best. Or do I really want what's best for them? I care about the people involved. Uh, It's not about whether I'm right or wrong. It's just I, I want what's best for you. And so maybe you want to think about yourself in Abraham's role today. Maybe you're thinking about yourself as, as Isaac or Rebecca, and you find yourself in a place where you're, you're grieving, you, you know what loss is like, you know what emptiness feels like. And what is it to look for comfort in a way that, that isn't just about myself, but it's mutual, that it benefits other people too? Because there's a lot of ways in which you're like, you know, my life's been so crummy, I'm just going to, I'm going to do what makes me feel good, and I don't care what it does to anybody else. What is it to enter into comfort, not for your own self only, but for others as well? Think about the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It is not a bad desire to want comfort. But what is it to not just want your own comfort, but the comfort for other people around you? And so we also might find ourselves in a space Or maybe you feel pretty certain of like, hey, God has called me to something. God's invited me to something. God has promised me something. And you have to learn how to trust that. So maybe you feel pretty confident of what God is calling you into in your life. What is it to not have to try to manipulate your way there, but to trust, to be open-handed, to just listen to respond to what God does. Instead of trying to play our own cards, get the way that we want it to work out, to work out, and all of a sudden, we're in a mess again. So I want to invite you to to just rest in God. If you're looking for comfort, what is it to go to God? And a God who gives us a mission, a calling, to be about the healing of everybody. And so God hears your cries, God hears your pains. What is it to uh, give up on some selfish ambition to just rest in God? And so it's in that rest that we are all invited today. So no matter what that turmoil looks like in your life, no matter what that stress, that pain, that anxiety is, I pray that this is a day that you just rest in God's comfort and embrace and take comfort that you are resting alongside a, a community who is also doing that. So would you pray with me as we come to our Father's embrace? Lord God, for all who feel broken, we ask that you might mend us together. Not just mend us individually, but mend us together in harmony to each other and to you. Lord, you said it's not good for us to be alone, and we praise you that 
You invite us into a community where we can be seen by you and each other. Lord, I ask that you might bring just a moment of, of peace, of comfort, that we might find strength to follow after you and a strength to let go when we need to let go. Lord, for all who feel like things are falling apart, I just ask that this is a moment of, of rest. We thank you so much for your love that keeps coming after us, that keeps never letting us go. We thank you for that loving embrace when all else fails. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.